Success, it has been said, is not the absence of failure, but going from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. My name is BJ Gramillion, and I am the host of the Rush to Fail podcast. This podcast was created to highlight and learn from others who have turned their failures into success in hopes that it will both inspire and encourage others to push through their trials and to not be afraid of short-term failure. Our mantra on this show is to fail often, fail forward, and rush to fail. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rush to Fail podcast. I'm your host, BJ Gramillion, and today I have Braden Shaw, uh, the owner of Fulcrum Home Loans, with us. And if his face is familiar, uh, I'm sure it is to many of you that listen to the show. He is, uh, I was telling him before this, he's one of my favorite people to listen to on Instagram because he has these short little clips, um, 60, 90 second reels, it seems like that, that are full of amazing content. And so um, by the end of this show, if you have not gone and started following him on your Instagram, what's your handle, by the way? Braden.Fulcrum. Okay. Um, I highly, highly recommend uh, that you guys go and check him out um, and follow him for all of his amazing content. And so, uh, Braden, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, and Braden is a, a loan originator in Idaho. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. That's okay. where we're headquartered. Awesome. And then how many states do you do business in? We're licensed. I think we're we're going through a spree of licensing right now. So I think we're 17, 18 states like that. We've got branches in probably nine of them. So we're, we're starting to expand across the United States right now. Wow. Awesome. Good for you. Um, is there any rhyme or reason like uh, why you're picking certain states over others? Not really. Um, where opportunities come up, social media has opened a lot of doors for me. And so a lot of loan officers with branches or companies will approach me and want to jump over and do it. And so we're kind of just hand selecting where we go. We, we tend to thrive in the smaller markets. Mm-hmm. Um, our business model is already done in Arizona, California, kind of all over. Um, and so we tend to go to the smaller markets, but outside of that, no real rhyme or reason. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so something that I learned before the show, uh, cause I was, I was telling Braden how much of a fan I am of, of, uh, his content. Um, you just started posting those videos on Instagram six months ago. Uh, you were telling, which I, I am shocked by honestly, cause I, I look, you have, how many followers now? Like I, I know it's quite a bit. Yeah. I, across platforms, it's 300, 350,000, something like that. So cool. Did you ever imagine that it would get <clears throat> to that point that quickly? No, no. I, to be honest, I knew I always needed to do social media. I feel like a lot of business owners are like, <clears throat> you know, that's where consumers are at. You're supposed to do it. Yeah. And so I just made a goal. I said, I'm going to post once a day. I watched a video. I don't remember who it was. Ryan Panita, someone like that. Yeah. Um, said post once a day for a year without any expectation and just give, like give all the valuable content you can. And a year from now, you'll be grateful you did. So that's what I, that was my whole goal. So I haven't missed a day. Um, I post every single day and that's been my whole goal. And it's been fun to watch, try to figure out. I mean, I've failed epically have some of the most horrendous videos. This should be on the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. but over time I've, I feel like I've started to figure out how to kind of do it and what makes stuff go viral and how to get followers and provide that, that valuable content. It's been a fun, it's like a game to me. It's a game that I'm trying to win, man. That is so crazy. You've never missed a day since you started. Yep. Wow. And so that's seven days a week, not just business days, like you're doing <clears throat> seven days. I was going to say, I've never, my goal was six days a week. So I've okay. missed a day of my goals. Um, yeah. I, I usually don't post post Sundays. I try to reserve that one for family. Um, yeah. But that's just because I don't want to sit on social media for an hour responding to comments and DMs. So I don't post yeah. Sundays, but haven't missed a day of the other ones. Man, so, so awesome. Okay. So I know we, we got a little bit ahead of, of myself. And so I actually want to learn a little bit of, uh, you know, about you and, and your background. Uh, so tell us about, you know, the, on the personal side, you know, do you have a family, uh, kids, all that fun stuff? Yeah. Yep. So I've got a wife and two boys. Um, boys are five and one. 
Cool. Um, I grew up in Idaho, um, left and went and played college sports in Utah uh, for a couple oh, of years. BYU. Did you really? Yeah, I played basketball at BYU 2015 to like 2018. No way. Um, yeah. What can you not do? All right, Braden, what, what's going on? <laughs> I, I had no idea. a lot of basketball. Uh, <laughs> I rode that bench real good. I kept it nice and warm. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, hey, you were D1, though. That's incredible. It was a lot of fun. So did that for a bunch of years, had a bunch of injuries. So I didn't end up playing my junior, senior year, really. Like I was still on a team, but mm-hmm. just could never get healthy. Um, and then moved back to Idaho as soon as I could. Wow. Okay. How tall are you? I'm 6'9". Are you really? Yeah. Okay. You're always sitting in your videos. and uh, I know. So I, I did tell. not realize that. Wow. 6'9". Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. How old were you when, when you uh, could uh, first dunk? Hmm. Uh, my first dunk in a game was my freshman year in high school. Wow. How did that feel? Great. Oh, I still man. remember it. I think there's a video floating around. I think it's on YouTube. It's about a buck 20, 120 pounds. <laughs> a skinny little tall dude. But yeah, it was I fun. bet they went crazy when they saw that. Yeah, it was fun. Oh, that's awesome. Now, which, which part of Idaho? I'm uh, just outside of Boise. Okay. Small town. <clears throat> it's Eagle. It's like a suburb of Boise. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's, we've got a decent population. We're in the greater valley of Boise. Okay. Awesome. So I went to uh, BYU, Idaho. I wasn't smart oh, enough really? to BYU and uh, definitely <laughs> wasn't good enough at basketball to make it on that, that team. So uh, well, that's cool. My father-in-law uh, is a professor there. My wife's from that side of the state. She's from Ryrie. Okay. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. then all my siblings went to BYUI. So yeah, we've crossed a lot of similar paths. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we we look I, I love love BYU Idaho. And um yeah, we went there before it uh, all I was there when all the construction was happening and they were gonna yeah. turn it into something amazing, you know. Yeah. Um and then we left when all the cool stuff came in. But yeah. um I met my wife there, so I don't care about anything else. Like the mission accomplished. Um so don't oh, remember cool. anything that I learned there, but um <laughs> yeah found a wife out of it so that worked out but um awesome well that that's cool to hear about your uh your background so now how did you get into real estate then i don't feel like at least mortgages no one grows up wanting to be a mortgage i feel like we all just kind of stumble into it um so i studied finance at byu was going to go do like the wall street path um Mm. internships were kind of in that financial planning analytics investment banking all that kind of stuff Mm-hmm. Um, got married in college as well on my wife there. We ended up having a kid my senior year. And I remember looking at the average hours worked of an investment banker in New York. It was like 87 hours a week. Whoa. Um, all my friends were doing it sounded awesome, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do with the kid. Um, yeah. so I had to pivot pretty hard my senior year and I got licensed as a loan officer just to kind of run deals on the side as I figured out what I was going to do and saw pretty quickly one, how fun it was. Like I really did enjoy it. Um, in my opinion, it's kind of the hidden gem inside the real estate industry. Um, mm. You can make, I mean, there's multiple people in my company making seven figures, just originating loans 40 hours a week. Like it's one of the few industries you can make a million bucks in working a normal work week. And so um, once I kind of saw that, I, I leaned into it and started this company and kind of ran with it. Man, that's crazy. So, and it's, it's interesting, like how everyone just, everyone finds something that, uh, you know, works for them and they enjoy it. And and that's awesome. So like for me, I look at cause I'm in real estate, I'm, I'm an investor typically. And so we're on that side. And so like, I, and and I'm like probably the worst nightmare for most loan originators. Like, (laughs) oh great. Like this guy's got 20 LLCs and all this stuff. On no, no paperwork and all that stuff. Yeah. So I look at your position and I'm like, I could never do that. Cause isn't it difficult to always have to chase people down to get their documents and nag them and but like, and there's paper, I don't know, there's deadlines all the time. Everyone seems to be frustrated with the, with the lender. A lot of times, like, how do you deal with all that? Yeah, it's stressful. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not simple. Um, I set up, and one of the reasons I want to start this company is because I set up people to do a little, most of that for me. Mm. Like I'm sales. I get to go on golf courses and go to lunch and schmooze mm. and lunch and learns and educate and social media. Like my job is sales. 
as a yeah. loan officer. And so I can do the fun part. And then the chasing of the paperwork is done by people. I have phenomenal processors, phenomenal ops staff, uh, assistants, all that kind of stuff. And so they're the ones that really have to go hound everyone. But yeah. yeah, it's not easy. I mean, setting up the systems and processes took years to do, but once it's going, you can scale pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, how did you get to that point where you were able to hire out and and get that? Because I'm sure in the beginning you were that person, right? That was doing yeah. everything from start to finish. And so, how did that happen? Um, I got really lucky and entered the industry um, in COVID. <laughs> so I started in 2020. Um, wow, that's when you started. You've only been doing this for three years. Yeah, yep. So we opened shop um, February. I think we funded our first loan of 2020. Um, so like right when COVID was starting mm-hmm. and so everyone and their dog was trying to refinance. Like I could just get a list of a thousand people and just call down it and convert half of them. You know what I mean? So yeah. you didn't need a book of business at the time. And so if I would have started in any other market, this wouldn't be what it is. Yeah. Um, so I feel like every entrepreneur says that like most of my success is dedicated to luck and I feel mm-hmm. like I fit right in there with them. Um, yeah. And then I just had the the opinion that I was going to invest in my business. So I lived on a very small salary um, and just everything else is dumped back into the business for as long as I could trying to, trying to build it. Man, that's so cool. Um, and I think you're, you're a pretty humble guy to say that because I actually think a lot of investors and entrepreneurs think that uh, – it's because they're so smart and because that they are, you know, these geniuses that that's how they're so successful. Like, Oh, I did all the work. I picked myself up from it. And it's like, no, I think that there's always that component of just right time, right place, you know? hundred percent. Um, and so, no, I'm, I appreciate that. So, um, this is actually a question that I was thinking about. So for those of you that, um, you know, have not seen any of Braden's content. Um, he, he does share, you know, financial advice and, and so, and it ranges, right? So it's not just about real estate, which I love, by the way, I love that you didn't pigeon your whole, uh, pigeon yourself in that. Holy smokes. You didn't pigeonhole yourself in that. Um, yeah. just in like mortgages or real estate. Cause a lot of people are like, you gotta be a niche, you know, you gotta focus on just that you went uh, wide, right? So you're, you're sharing yeah. just general financial advice. Um, yeah. How did you come to, like, did you have to kind of stumble through to figure out that's what you wanted? Or did you just nail it right off the shoot and just like, hey, this this just works? Like My I, videos at the beginning were painful, guys. Like, <laughs> I knew I had to do social media, so I started putting it out there. I still remember doing a video. Taxes in Idaho when you buy a home are really weird. Um, and so I did a three minute video on the intricacies of an escrow account and how the homeowner homeowner's exemption works with buying a home. I think I got two likes, like my wife and my mom, like no yeah. one consumes that information. No. Uh, yeah. You almost put me to sleep just right there. Yeah, yeah. It is brutal. So I started down that path. Um, and then came, I just was sitting there thinking, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I feel like the service industries in America fail on social media. Mm. product industries are really good. Like you look at Red Bull or Nike or Adidas, like they run good social media campaigns. Um, they sell a lifestyle. They do a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Services. They don't do that. And so I'm going to use mortgage as an example, but on average, everyone purchases a home every seven years. Right. And they're going to research mortgages two weeks out of that seven years. And so if I'm poaching, posting mortgage content, I am asking Instagram's algorithm for to take my content to my consumer during the 1% of that seven years, that two week period in which they actually want to consume my content Mm -hmm. and for them to reach out to me. Like I'm asking for a needle in a haystack. It's just not going to happen. And so what I decided is I wanted to be in front of them the other six years, 50 weeks. And so I wanted to post content that people wanted to watch every single day so that when they got to that two weeks where they actually needed to consume mortgage information, they knew where to find me. And so that's kind of how I started to hone in my target demographic roughly as millennials, home buying age, investors, stuff like that, people who want to grow their net worth. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'm just going to post net worth stuff. Everyone likes to be rich. I mean, <laughs> selfishly, everyone wants to yep. grow their net worth. Yep. And so the goal is just to stay in front of people 
and that when they finally decide it's time to buy a home, they'll remember me because they watch my videos every day and hopefully reach out. And so it's worked. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a long process to get to that point with a whole bunch of painful videos. Um, but we, we finally got there and it, it seems to be working now. Yeah. So how did you figure out, I guess the, you were saying that, yeah, now it's kind of a game and you're figuring out some of the different rules to, to play by in order to figure out the algorithm, those kind of things. What are some things that you have learned in that journey of, you know, posting content? Cause that's something that I'm interested in. I think a lot of others that are entrepreneurs and stuff. They're always trying to figure out social media. So what are some tips or things that you have learned personally as you, as you've been doing this for the last six months? I mean, you're going to get me on a soapbox. I could go off on forever on this. This has been the, this has been my my life's work the last six months. Love um, it. I'm here for it. I'll try to stick to a couple. So yeah, um, things that I learned. So first one that took me a long time to kind of conceptualize is no content is original content unless it's a personal story. Mm. And for a long time, I I put so much effort thinking through what is like personal like original content. I want to have original content. Um, and eventually I had to realize that nothing's original. Every single viral post on any social media platform, if it's a viral post, they went and read an article or a book or a podcast, or they heard a friend tell them, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's no new information today, all information yeah. out there. And yep. so once I started to realize that I just went and found stuff that I loved and that I knew about, but had already gone viral in one form or another, whether it was an article or a podcast or a book or on TikTok or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just recreated it with my own personal stories and my own personal words. Um, the world has already told me what they want to consume. There's no reason I should try to guess what they want to consume, if that makes sense. So wow. I'll just look for, for viral content about network stuff. Um, and then just kind of recreate the wheel. And so that was a big aha moment for me. And it took me trying to create content from a 20 hour a week job to I quite literally have an hour a week blocked to batch content. Like there's a reason you see me in the same shirt for seven days in a row. <laughs> it's because I film it all on Monday and then yeah. I just post it throughout the week. And I maybe do an hour or two a week on social media, just batching out the content because I because of that. So that was a big one for me. Um, yeah, I already told you about the Ellis services one. And then there's a bunch of just granular stuff. Like the day that I learned you want to have captions on every single video was like mind blowing to me. So I saw a stat 70 something percent of videos on Instagram watched are watched on silent. Mm. And if you don't put Instagram's captions on your video, they don't think the consumer can actually watch your video on silent. So they don't push it to people on silent mode. And so my videographer puts his own captions on the videos, but I put Instagrams on top of it and then slide it off screen so you can't see it. And it told, tells the algorithm that now I can show to people that are watching on silent. And so my views went up instantly, like overnight, doubled my views just doing. So there's little things like that Whoa. that will help. But That's crazy. So, okay. Cause yeah, like I have a, uh, someone that will edit our videos and they'll put the words on there, right? Yeah. <clears throat> when we chop it up. But you're saying that's not enough. You need to also make sure that Instagram or whatever is also showing that it has the captions on there that are hidden. Is that, I mean, I don't work at Instagram, but my videos yeah. before I did that, my videos after yeah. doubled in viewership. And I wow. heard that from another person that does social media and it makes sense. Like it makes yeah. Logical sense that their algorithm needs to know what words are being said. Yeah. And so there's little stuff like that, that, that have helped as well, for sure. Man, that is so crazy. So, uh, another thing that I'm curious about. So, uh, when it comes to engagement, right? So I it is, I'm sure it's not enough just to post and say, okay, I've done my job. Um, do you also time block time to then talk to people and, and respond to comments? Yeah. So my, my process is I'll post a video. Okay. So when I have a video posted, um, I interact with the people on that post for 20 to 30 minutes. So if someone comments, I comment back and we try to create dialogue to build up that, that comment count as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I don't like those cause I'm going to do that the next time I post. So the next time I post, I'm going to post the video and then I'm going to go to my previous post. I'm going to like every single comment because I haven't liked a single one. 
Mm. And so then by liking it, that's a hundred people that just got a like from me that are going to go back to my page immediately and figure out why I did rate and like my pose or like my comment. And so, yeah, I time block about 20 to 30 minutes, liking comments, commenting back, answering DMS, liking other people's posts. Um, I used to actually schedule my posts and viewership dropped off a cliff. Um, mm. And I think it's because, I mean, Instagram wants you on their platform. That's their yeah. whole goal. And so if you post and interact on their platform, they're going to reward you with views. And so I stopped scheduling posts and actually started posting to myself and then staying on the app for 30 minutes. And that seemed to make a big difference as well. So crazy. Yeah. Those are just these little things that you just, now, did you have a, a company that you worked with that has helped you out um, on these videos or is this just you kind of figuring it out as you go? Me figuring out as I go. So I've never paid for an ad sponsor to post bot followers, employed a company. I now Jared and Colin, Colin's my video editor. Jared helps me kind of run the page. They're phenomenal. Like mm. I couldn't, once I got to about a hundred thousand followers, I just couldn't manage it by myself and still do everything else I'm doing. Yeah. And so I brought them in and they're phenomenal, but yeah, we, we've done it all in house and just tried to figure it out as we go. Wow. And so those, uh, those two people that you mentioned, what, what does their day look like? What are they doing now? So Colin's a video editor. So I have other companies that we kind of talked about. So yeah. I have a marketing team for my mortgage company and Colin is technically inside that. So he okay. works for my, mar for my mortgage company. Um, but he's a video editor. So he will go, he'll be in the podcast room with me recording on Mondays for an hour and then he'll go home and turn a crappy 10 minute video into a nice 90 second polished thing that you all think looks good. But in reality, I just stumbled over my words for 10 minutes and he's just a phenomenal, he's sitting there splicing and putting it all together, making it look good. So Colin's extremely talented. I actually hired him. He was in high school when he first started working for me. So he's 18 years old and one of the best in the business. And then Jared recently came on about a month ago and he runs the page. So he's actually now posting and commenting and liking and yeah, helps me with DMs and some of that stuff. So he's he's engaging more than I am. But mm -hmm. up until a couple months ago, that was me. Man, that is awesome. Um, okay, the other question I, I was thinking about um, is with your content. Like again, it, it's it's great because it just it it covers so many different things um, on the financial spectrum. Um, how much of that are you actually practicing <laughs> yourself? I, I would be super curious about this. My wife made a joke the other day because I posted about one that I don't do. Yeah. And she came home. She's like, you should do a review of your last 20 videos and how many you actually do. <laughs> I do 95% of them. Do you really? I do. Um, oh, man. So I refuse to record. You know, I was telling you I go find content that's gone viral through articles yeah. or podcasts or whatever else. And then turn into my own words. I refuse to post anything that I personally don't know a lot about. Um, so most of it I'm doing, but there's some stuff that I just haven't implemented yet that I plan to like perfect one land trust. I just did a video on land trust. that got over a million views. I am currently working with attorney to set up land trust, to put all my properties in. And that's what made me do the video. Mm -hmm. My properties are not in a land trust yet. So I got yeah. a ton of comments asking me all these questions. I'm like, whoa, 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 give me 30 days and I can answer these. I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> but most of my stuff I'm doing. Yeah. I was, man, that's incredible. If you're doing 95% of the of the <laughs> things that you mentioned in your content, that's incredible. You're you're doing okay. Uh, cause I'm I it, it's funny, like I'm I got that squirrel brain, right? So yeah. the typical entrepreneur where I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. I'm gonna do that. And then like I can't remember what I listened to like 10 minutes ago and yeah. I forget about it. And and then I'll go back and watch some of your other videos and be like, Oh yeah, I was gonna look into that. Forgot. <laughs> um, but the land trust one, I actually think that's a really really cool idea so for those that have not yet listened to it first of all go check it out um and uh but maybe explain that in a little bit more detail because that i had not heard of before so tell me a little bit more about what, what because that is. the one video i don't actively do right now and yeah I yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> don't know nearly enough about yeah exactly um <laughs> the thought process behind a land trust so if you know what a trust is the what a trust is and i'm not an attorney so if you're an attorney listening, you can blast me into my email. But what a trust is, 
is what if you don't have a trust. So if you pass and you yeah. have a will, all your your belongings and everything that you are has to go to probate court. And that judge can rule whatever they want. Now they read your will and they're going to follow it most of the time. But if you say that you want your mom to take your kids and that judge says your mom is not viable to take your kids, that judge can overrule your will. And so you don't have control, true control over your assets in just a will. And so what a trust does is it employs an attorney before you die to make all those decisions so that when you pass, a judge cannot veto anything. And so everything, you decide where your assets go before you die um, so that you know exactly what's going on. So that's a traditional trust. Um, There is a type of trust called a land trust and it does the exact same thing, but for properties. So the trust will dictate who gets the property, what happens to it, how it's all done before you pass um, to protect you for a lot of reasons. So that's the main purpose of a land trust, but it comes with a lot of different benefits. Like one of them, a trust is not publicly recorded. And so if a proper, if a trust owns a property, no one can go to the secretary of state and look up who owns that property because the trust owns it. And so you become completely anonymous. So if you own rental properties and you don't want your tenants to be able to track you down and figure out where your home address is, put in a land trust, you have complete anonymity um, and they can never track you. Or another one, liens. Let's say I don't pay my taxes or I don't agree with the IRS and they slap a fine on me and I don't agree with it and I'm battling it for a year. That will become a lien against me. And if I don't have my property in a land trust, any lien filed against me automatically gets filed against the properties I own. You don't want $100,000 liens against properties you own. That's a huge issue. Once again, if that property is in a land trust and I get a lien slapped on me, it protects that property and no liens are put against it. So there's tons of benefits to land trusts, but the hard part is you have to have an attorney set it up. Mm. So it's going to cost a little bit of money to set this up. Once it's set up, it's repeatable and it's really, really easy but it does take a little bit of time and effort to set them up. Yeah. That was my question is, okay, so let's say someone has 20 single family properties. So do you have to set up a a land trust for every single property? If you're asking me, no. If you ask your attorney, yes, because they want to bill you for 20 of them. Uh, Right. So the liability protection, if you put 20 properties in there and one of those properties gets sued, yeah, the person suing can get access to the other 20. So that's Mm -hmm. the risk you take. Um, So you could argue back and forth all day on that one. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that, that's a great answer, actually, because it's funny. My brother-in-law is an estate attorney, and um, you know, he's him and I could not be more different, right? So he's just a very, he's he's in the right position, right? Like he's he yeah. is where he needs to be, and I am where I need to be. So For I'm sure. more of a risk taker. He's more of a hey, like let's watch out and uh, yeah. make sure you're protected. And so, yeah, he would probably answer the uh, it needs to be in uh, individual. LLCs and, and sure. my answer would probably fall with you, but yep. yeah, leave that up to the attorneys, I guess. Um, no, that that's super interesting. Okay. So, um, I'm sure that you get asked this question, uh, you know, more than anything, but I, I have to ask it anytime I have someone that's in the, the, you know, mortgage origination industry, I have to ask them the question, where do you think <laughs> rates are going to go in 2024? What's your answer? Well, let me get my crystal ball out. Um, yeah, please do. If I could really predict, I'd be a billionaire, and I wouldn't be on this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. take everything I say. Come on, you wouldn't be on this podcast for a billionaire? Come on. There we go. Sorry. Yes, it would be. <laughs> um, okay, so rates are already coming down. We mm-hmm. peaked at about an 8% interest rate two months ago. Um, I locked in three refinances yesterday at a 599. So we're already down 2.5%. Um <laughs> Historically, interest rates, in my opinion, should be between four and a half and seven and a half percent. Like from an economic standpoint, that makes the most sense. It is a secured debt with a return of four and a half to seven and a half. Anything above that, people will go to equities markets like the stock market, and there's more risk involved. Anything below that, you'll go to government bonds because you can get two, three, four percent. Yeah. So I think a healthy interest rate is four and a half to seven and a half. Um, so with that said, we're currently at about a six, six and a half. Um, I think we'll do a slow descent and we'll end next year in the 
five to five and a half range. Um, Whoa. But I do not think we will ever see two and 3% interest rates again. Yeah. So if you're waiting yeah. for it, stop waiting. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, that is music to my ears. Um, and it's funny because I, I actually did like a 2024 prediction um, a couple of weeks ago before the Fed, you know, came in and announced they were pretty much done raising rates and all that stuff. And and I was like, hey, I think that rates are going to come down a little bit and that we'll probably see some price appreciation, you know, maybe three, four uh, percent yeah. for next year. Uh, so I'm curious. Yeah. So if rates go down uh, to where you're thinking, um, what do you think that will do to prices nationwide? I know it's local, but yeah, um, they'll go up. I mean, yeah. I don't want them to go up. <laughs> I feel like you've talked to a lot of mortgage lenders and real estate agents that want it to go up because then they can tell their clients that they have appreciation. I actually yeah. don't think it's healthy yeah. for us to see the appreciation we've seen for the last three years. We need stability in the real estate market to create a ground floor that we can then build a foundation on to build again. Um, yeah. I'm worried that if we have another 30% increase and we had a legitimate economic disaster, like a 2008, it would be extreme turmoil. So let me preface with, I don't want it to go up, but I think it's going to, um, yeah. I, we, I mean, I have a mortgage company that will do hopefully a billion dollars in originations next year. So we see a lot of data. Yeah. Um, the actual number of people calling did not decrease this year business decreased by 40 to 50%. And you'll talk to any mortgage lender and they'll say that, but that just tells me people are sitting on the sidelines. People still wanted to purchase. They just couldn't because of interest rates. And so with all that pent up demand, you bring back affordability and I think we'll see 10, 15, 20% appreciation. Again. Whoa, that's crazy. Okay, guys, like here, here's what you, uh, hopefully everyone is, is paying attention to what you just said because never pay attention to the media ever. They're, they're not in the business to tell you the truth. They are in the business to make money. It is a business and they sell it off fear. And so they're going to preach crashes every single day of the week, right? Because yep. that's going to scare you. Now, you are actually boots on the ground in the industry and you just said that your call volume for people interested in buying a home did not go down this year, but volume went down 40, 50%. That right there tells you everything you, you need to know. Um, so there is demand, there is people on the sidelines itching to get in and everyone is saying the same thing, whether they like it or not, like whether it's, you know, because they can't, and they want to, or they're just saying, I'm waiting until uh, both sides can be true. And really what's going on is everyone's saying, well, when interest rates come down, I'm going to look to buy. Well, guess what? Now you're going to be competing just like 2021. So how many people love that market? I, am 100% with you. I mean, it was great to see home appreciation if you were a seller, but man, I hated being a buyer. It was such yeah. a hard, brutal time. Even if you're a cash buyer, I was in Arizona. So everyone was like, Oh, I'll go to open door offer pad, you know, and they're going to pay 95% of the value. And, and I was like, well, I can't, I can't compete, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if we want to go back to that, that you're the first I've, I've uh, talked to that was, that's actually kind of that aggressive on the appreciation side, thinking it could be, you know, double digit. Um, so, so, so you're saying if, if it does get into like the, the high fives, um, you know, mortgage rates that we could see 20% appreciation potentially. Yeah. 20% would be extremely bullish, but yeah. Yeah. It's very market specific. Mm-hmm. But just, I mean, 5% is what people will offer over asking in a competitive market. It's so easy to get home appreciation when mm. you get in a competitive market. Someone lists a home for 300000 and to win the deal, you had to come in at three thirty. You yeah. just caused 10% appreciation because your comp is going to be used on the next appraisal. You know what I mean? So yep. it really is not hard to get to double-digit appreciation across the board in a hyper competitive market when you have 10 plus offers. Man, it's crazy. 
Crazy to think because we just had to go through 18 months of just brutal. That's anyone brutal. in the in your industry, especially, I feel like more than anyone, uh, and realtors, of course, that are not having a great uh, year either. But man, it's been brutal. Like, uh, there's just, I mean, inventory is super low, interest rates super high. It's the worst of both worlds, and it's just been miserable. So the last having Christmas come early uh, has been wonderful for, I'm sure, all of us. Welcome news. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested actually, uh, I, I think it was you that had mentioned this, uh, before all this craziness, the last couple of weeks, you had started mentioning, Hey, I'm starting to do more, uh, refis. And so people are getting out of these 3% loans and, and they're getting into 7%, 6.5% loans. Um, are you still seeing that? Is that, is that continued to grow with the refis lately? And, and why is that? Maybe explain why you're seeing that. Yeah, so there's two different types of refis. There's refinances to lower your interest rate, and there's refinances to consolidate debt. And they're very different structures and uh, motivations. Mm. So in the last two days, like we have a promo going right now where I'll refinance any VA loan down to a 575 and pay their fees for them. Um, and so we've started to see those come in. And so we're starting... Yeah, a bunch of them. I think we have, I'm like looking at my pipeline right now. We've started nine of them today. Um, wow. So that is a rate in terms. Their whole purpose is lowering the mortgage payment. The ones that yeah. you saw are called cash out. So I have someone with $40,000 of credit card debt, $20,000 in a car. They went and got a personal loan because they're living beyond their means. And they were used to stimulus checks. They have $100,000 of consumer debt with an interest rate averaging 15, 16%. And then they have a $100,000 mortgage at 3%. And they'll call me and say, I'm never giving up that mortgage. And I was like, let's look whole picture here. You're paying $2,000 for your mortgage. You're paying $6,000 a month or 4,000 or 2,000, whatever the number is in consumer debt payments. Stop thinking of those separately and just start looking at your whole house payment. Like your total household APR is what we call it. And it makes sense for them to give up a 3% interest rate to pay off all their consumer debt and they'll end up saving $2,000 a month in total payments by combining them all into one. Now, this is not for everyone. There are people that can do it doing HELOCs. There are people that can do it through a snowball method like Dave Ramsey will tell you. This is not a blanket statement for everyone, but if you can convince me that you will control your spending after I do this refinance for you, <laughs> which is a big key, mm -hmm. then it has saved people from declaring bankruptcy and it doesn't matter what interest rates are. If it lowers your monthly obligations, it's a win. Okay. That is um, another just gold nugget. So I, I, so the blended rate, right? That I feel mm -hmm. like so many people are like, well, how is inventory going to happen when everyone is locked into 3%? They'll never give those up. And it's like, okay, let's think about this for a minute. So COVID happened, everyone stopped spending. Then of course, savings went up. And then of course, after that, they got a ton of money injected in the system. Their savings account, you know, uh, increased. And then they went bananas when they could start spending money. So Americans love debt. We love spending money like that's We're not disciplined. And so, you know, we just start spending money like there's no tomorrow because we're living off of all this money we were just given. And then the thing is, is you have that in that creep, right? That happens where it's just all of a sudden your expenses creep up. And, and so I, the way I look at it is, okay, are people going to be able to stop their spending behavior and tighten their belt just without being pressured to do so? Are they actually going to do that? And I think we all know the answer. No. I mean, and then throwing student loans being, you know, paused for a while. Um, yeah. and now those kicking back up. It's like, okay, now think about it. So now everyone's racking up debt like crazy. And our, I think our average credit card spend is like $8,000 balance or something like that for Americans right now. And that's at 20% interest rate or 18%. And so exactly what you just said, it's like, okay, now add all that up. And it's like, that's where you're, you know, going to start being able to tap into some people will be forced to either sell or refinance or whatever the case may be, because it does make financial sense for them to, you know, to give up that 3% rate. Um, and, and so for the exact reason of what you're just saying right there, because they're going to have to like, it's yep. just that they need to do that. So, um, man, that's so interesting. So, 
Uh, okay. With that said, then I'm curious, um, you know, cause you started in 2020. So do you feel that like 2024 or 2025, do you feel like those years will be as busy as what we saw? And let's say was 2021 or 2020, your, your, I guess, I guess it's probably grown every year knowing you, you probably exponentially grown, but I I'm didn't curious. have a book of business in 2021, you yeah. know what I mean? So like, yeah, I've had to grow. So a little bit hard, but yeah, I think, um, question one, I want to say this out loud and make the statement. I think 2025 will yeah. have more mortgage originations than 2021, which would be an all time high. And the reason I'm saying that is back then in 2021 rates were at a 3%, which is historically incredible. Yep. But the 11 years prior to that, we've had a very slow descent from about an 8% rate down to a 3%. And people have been refinancing all the way down for 11 years. Mm -hmm. So I was telling, taking people from a 4% rate to a 3% rate, which saved them money. And it was a great idea to do, but it wasn't a necessity. Yeah. Flash forward to right now, it's a necessity. Like people are calling me daily saying, when can I refinance? When can I refinance? And so there's this pent up dam that's about to break of everyone that's at a seven and a half, eight percent that is dying to refinance. And so instead of loan originators having to call lists and send mailers and do all this stuff to get refinances, our phones are going to be ringing and we're just going to be doing loans as fast as we can. And so I honestly think the next two years are going to be pretty crazy if rates do what I think they're going to do. Man so wild that we're at that point now because it was looking pretty bleak there if we were having this conversation a year ago at this exact same time i don't think we'd be having this conversation um, so do you know how many mortgage companies have gone out of business in the last 12 months like they're dropping like flies and big names like yeah. finance of america sprout mortgage like huge home point was the number three wholesaler in the country sold out like Homebridge. we have some massive companies that are going out or being acquired just because it's been brutal out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I've, I've been thinking that ever since it happened, we had a lot of real estate holdings in 2022 that it was just basically, Hey, do you have enough cash to make it last until like it, we're in a recession. I don't think a lot of people realize that real estate's been in a recession for like 18 months. Like it's, yeah. it's in a recession still. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like there are certain people that made it. And I've always thought that like, if we can just make it through this, it's going to be, we're going to see that sun come up again. Um, yeah. hopefully sooner than later, but, um, man, that's so interesting. Okay. Um, so another question I have for, I have so many questions for you because you just have this wealth of knowledge. I feel like I want to talk as fast as I can just to get it all out. But, um, okay. With all the financial uh, knowledge that you have and experience, um, uh, with your investment strategy, um, what do you, I guess, what do you do? And then I guess, what would you recommend people do? Because there's this conversation of like, well, would it make sense to invest my money in real estate or like, let's say the stock market. And so when people ask you that question, you know, where should I invest my money? Um, and let's say they have, you know, they're responsible and they've been saving money and they have, you know, a good chunk of cash. What do you recommend? Like, what, what do you, what do you say to them? It's so dependent on your situation. I mean, yeah. it's a hard blanket answer. Yeah. Um, me and Dave Ramsey, fairly different people, but I think he does have a lot of good stuff for the common American. Mm -hmm. I mean, your first thing you should do is pay down consumer debt. You're never going to out invest credit card debt or personal loans. Even car loans are questionable. Um, so that's step one. Step two is get an emergency fund. Like everyone should be able to live three to six months without a paycheck coming in. And I think it's like 90 something percent of Americans can't do that. So that's step two. Um, for the average American, a Roth IRA makes a lot of sense to start your investing in. Um, so I would look at a Roth IRA and just get into index funds, uh, VTI, VOO, write those two down. That's where all my money's at. I don't have anything in individual stocks. I don't stock pick. I don't day trade. I'm not smarter than the computers that try to do it full time. So I'm not going to try. Um, so that's kind of like basis level. If you're just getting started, that's your foundation. If you've got money to play with, like if you've got a hundred thousand dollars to play with, um, that's where it starts to get fun. 
I've been in cryptocurrency since 2015, have made six figures incomes. Um, I honestly think every person in America should have an allocation to cryptocurrency. I don't care if it's 1% or 5%, don't go crazy. But I think it's the ticket to middle classes, the middle class getting out of the middle class. Um, I really do think it will see a 20 times increase over the course of the next 10, 15 years. So do something there. Um, but I'm a huge proponent of real estate. Uh, probably 80% of my net worth is in real estate. So syndication, real estate syndication. Um, if you want true passive real estate investing, that's where I'd go. You can get 18 to 22% returns. You get the benefits of depreciation and you don't have to deal with property management or leases or people not covering your rents. Like these syndication groups usually invest in like 200 unit apartment complexes. So one, you need one tenant not paying rent isn't going to kill you. Or if you go buy a single family home, them not paying rent, you're covering the mortgage for the rent or for the month. So real estate syndication is a good one. Single family homes, commercial, I do all of it. So I'd start baseline, chuck some in crypto, and then I would no greater place to create wealth than inside real estate. Yeah. Interesting. So in your uh, experience, like you are more of a syndication, uh, multifamily real estate, it sounds like not so much on the single family. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, I, I, I do it all. I mean, I've got, I have properties in Texas and Idaho, single family, fourplexes, duplexes. Um, so I do have properties. Um, I have two commercial buildings, uh, office buildings, but I do a lot of syndication now. I, mm-hmm. I did all of that before I knew what syndication was. Yeah. And once I found out what syndication is, um, I, in my opinion, it's hard to beat it, especially in this market to try to cash flow a property right now is near mm-hmm. impossible yeah. where you can do it in syndication. Yeah. Oh man. That's a, okay. Last question. AI. Uh, I think that you, uh, I don't know, like you, you might be someone that, that knows a lot about AI. Maybe not. I, I could be judging you incorrectly, but, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious though, if what, what's your take on AI in specifically like within the industry that you're in, do you see it, um, impacting your business, your business model? Uh, are there any concerns like, or opportunities like, do you see anything with AI just out of curiosity? I don't know why I'm asking that question, but I, I think I've been listening to some podcasts lately on AI. So anyways, just um, I think artificial intelligence is going to disrupt just about every industry drastically. I don't mm-hmm. think America looks the same in 10 years as it does today. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a lot of people that think we're just going to be useless. That's not the case. Same people thought the same thing pre electricity or pre the internet. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's been innovation, at every point and it makes us more efficient, but that doesn't take away the need for human capital. Um, but yeah, I have a buddy who owns a RV company, a nationwide RV company, and he has employed individuals to implement AI into his financing. Hmm. And so what they do is they took the last five years, thousands and thousands of customers who have got financing for RVs with him and they've, plugged it into this AI artificial intelligence that it's really just machine learning and said, look at these thousands of individuals and the ones that we gave loans to and the ones we didn't and start to learn from it. And now they have their investors don't allow the AI to actually make the decision. So they can't utilize it yet. They're trying to help get their investors to, but they run it in the background to double check all their employees. And they said they have not missed their artificial intelligence has not missed a single lend or don't lend in the last 12 months and they're implying employing whole industries to do that the reason i tell you that wow. is that's rvs can be identically replicated inside of mortgages you know what yeah. i mean like underwriters um mm-hmm. will be there to spot check and help with difficult individuals like maybe me and you were a little bit more complex with our entity structures and how it all talks to and so maybe a little bit more difficult for AI to grasp the intricacies of the LLCs. 
But for the common W-2 employee, I think mortgage industry is completely different than a couple of years. Wow. Man, that's a great point, actually. Yeah, thinking about the underwriters. I, I can't stand underwriters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if AI is going to be better or worse. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be better or worse, but that's a the scary. great side for the consumer is if a machine's doing it, we don't have to pay a person to do it. Loans get cheaper. Mortgages yeah. will oh, be cheaper. True. Interest rates will be lower. It's a deflationary pressure. So it would help. And way faster. They work 24-7. So yeah. we don't have to worry about them taking the weekend off and getting back yeah. to that. Ah, every time I talk to someone about, yeah, there's something else I haven't thought about where I'm like, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so interesting. See, this is why I love having this podcast because I get to bring on people where I feel like I am smarter by the end of this conversation. And I have learned so much just in this short, you know, 45 minute period of time. Um, so before I let you go, uh, Braden, we like to ask everyone, um, this question. So if, if you, were able to go back uh, to the beginning of your career, which is not that long ago um, <laughs> in the mortgage industry. Most people have on are typically they've been doing it, you know, for at least a decade or more. But uh, you know, you start in 2020. But if you can go back to 2020, knowing what you know now, what is something you would have done differently? Started posting on social media earlier. Um, attention is today's currency. Um, if you have attention, you can, you'll have money the rest of your life. Mm. Um, I hate social media. I don't, it is not who I am. Um, I forced myself out of my comfort zone to do it, but if I could have started three years earlier, what could have been? And so mm. I, I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what you're doing. I think every business owner, salesperson, entrepreneur, should have a social media presence they're trying to grow man such a great answer yeah it's it is it and i love that you you've used it as a tool um i think the the thing that scares everyone is is when it becomes like just this obsession and and it runs their life as opposed to you saying okay i will use you during this period of time and you will do this for me um Mm -hmm. and that's how it should be it's just it's a tool it's a scary powerful wild tool probably like ai is going to be but learn to embrace it figure out how to utilize it uh for your benefit um great answer man this has been so much fun i appreciate Um, you it's been fun fun to reminisce talk chat i always like hearing other people's stories so thanks for having me on absolutely all right thanks Braden. yep I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It's the best part of my week. I love learning from others' failures. And let's be honest, failures are way more enjoyable when you're not the one experiencing them in the moment. If you or someone you know has a story or experience to share, we would love to have you on the show. And please do not forget to like and share this podcast with anyone you feel would get value from the experiences shared on this show. Until the next show, remember to fail fast and fail often. Thanks for listening to the Rush to Fail podcast.